0: Welcome to Murder Bucket. I'm your host, Hannah, and this is the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. It's another great Tuesday, and Tuesdays here at Murder Bucket Podcast means another episode of the Cold Case Road Trip. If you're listening for the first time tonight, you might not know what the Cold Case Road Trip even means. Every week, over the course of 28 episodes, we are exploring two cold cases. They range from all 50 states, D.C., and five inhabited territories. Tonight, we're on stops 17 and 18, and we'll be exploring Michigan, Michigan, and Alabama. I do have one question to ask you though before we get started. What snacks do you have? I have Coke Zero, which is my all time favorite drink. I have some Dove Dark Chocolate and Flaming Hot Cheetos. Let me know in the comments on the posts on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook what snacks you have while listening. I might find something new to try. Moving right along. Another thing we like to do here at Murder Bucket is a weekend slash week recap. Every week, I put a post on Instagram and Twitter inviting you to tell me how your week was. You are welcome to tell me the good, the bad, but be sure to let me know if you don't want it mentioned in any of the upcoming episodes. My week slash weekend wasn't too exciting. Thursday night, instead of our typical Bible study, We had a game night with the other young adult group, and that was really fun. I love being able to hang out with all of those people, play games, be silly together, you know, the whole nine yards. Friday was super quiet. We just sat around watching TV, got caught up on all the shows we like to watch. Uh, We typically watch uh, Law & Order SVU and then the new one with Stabler being back, I believe it's called Law and Order Criminal Intent. But correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we also like the Connors, This Is Us, Station 19, Grey's Anatomy, 911, 911 Lone Star, you know, all of those drama, law, emergency room, medical dramas. Those are just kind of like our thing. And then Saturday, we woke up, I made a scrambled egg casserole. And then again, we just kind of hung out around the house, did a little bit of laundry, you know, that adulting thing you have to do sometimes. And then before we went to the Saturday service at our church, My husband made a salmon with balsamic Thai chili glaze for dinner. And we took that with us because after the service, we had a little tailgate in the parking lot. Now it was a little bit chilly and our daughter didn't want anyone to hold her because she is 100% mobile now. But trying to crawl on a parking lot... Doesn't really work, and I really didn't want her to tear any holes in the knees of her pants, so we hung out for just a little bit, and then we ended up just coming home. Sunday, we went up to the church just to say hi to a few people because they wanted to see our daughter, kind of wanted to see us. You know how it is. After you have a baby, it's more about the baby than it is the parents, but that's okay. She's really cute. And then we headed over to Lowe's because we got a new fan for our kitchen. Um, That fan, super old, probably has been here since the house was built in the 70s, and we wanted to replace it. So we've been working on getting that replaced, had a little bit of some technical difficulties there, not a big deal. And then last night, my husband had his D&D group with a bunch of our friends And one of our friends, Phil, made, I think they were called apple cinnamon pancakes. Anyways, they were delicious. I ate a few of them. My daughter ate probably one and a half of them. And then they played their game. I worked on writing the podcast episode, doing a little bit more research on a few upcoming episodes. And now it's Tuesday and I get to hang out with you. Now, let's go head on over to Twitter and see what you guys were up to. We only got one post there, and that was from Myths Behind Legends. They said that they recorded their next episode with a special guest. I can't wait to hear who that is. And they started working on their music stuff, and they're hoping it's going to be released soon. And then we got one comment on Instagram, and that was from History at Mac. They said they reread The Bridge to Terabithia and sobbed their eyes out. I'm going to be honest here, History at Mac. I have never read that book. Let me know how it is. Entice me so that maybe I will. Let's move right on into tonight's episode. Stop 17, Michigan. Connie Royce, 24, was recently divorced and living with her parents in Madison Heights, Michigan. She met a guy named Greg at a bar in May of 1990, and they made plans to go out in June. Connie drove to his apartment to meet up with him and his friend Brad. They had a few drinks before heading to the Hayloft Bar in Mount Clemens. Once they arrived, they were all seen on surveillance entering the bar and paying the cover. The Hayloft Bar was one of the few bars that had video surveillance. 45 minutes after getting to the bar, Greg excused himself to the bathroom. Connie then turned to Brad, telling him that she couldn't do this. One article states that she left everything, while another says that she took her shoes and left her purse behind. Video surveillance caught her leaving the bar. It appeared that she was intoxicated, possibly drugged. She was walking awkwardly and very flat-footed. She bumps into the wall with her shoulder, and that is never seen again. When Greg returned from the bathroom, Brad informed him what was happening. They went immediately outside to look for her. Various people said they saw a woman in a black flower print dress holding her shoes, but no one knew which direction she went. The two went back inside, hoping that Connie would come back because she had left her purse. They waited until 2 a.m., and then decided to go back to Greg's apartment. Her car was still in the parking lot. The police spoke to the bar staff, and they told them that they saw nothing wrong. There was no arguing, there was no yelling, and their body language was nothing to be concerned with. Connie was reportedly seen on video surveillance at a payphone near the bar. There was a 1970s model car near her, but no witnesses saw her get in or out. They attempted to pull the records of the payphone, but were unsuccessful. A local pizza place also claimed to have seen a woman matching her description on the payphone. Several days later, she was seen at the Newport Apartments about five minutes away. Authorities investigated, but it turns out it wasn't Connie. The Mount Clemens Police Department investigated Brad and Greg, and they were both cleared of any involvement in Connie's disappearance. Her ex-husband and ex-boyfriend were also questioned, but they had alibis and were cleared. Several locations in Mount Clemens were searched, such as the Clinton River and the water treatment plant, but no evidence was located. Leslie Williams was arrested after confessing to the murders of four teenagers in Michigan in May of 1992. Police speculate that he might have been involved in Connie's case but he was in prison at the time of her disappearance. In 2005, Mount Clemens Police Department was closed and all open investigations were turned over to the Macomb County Sheriff's Office. In 2009, her case was reopened and they interviewed everyone all over again. But nobody was tagged as a suspect. There have been several theories as to what happened to Connie. Medium.com believes that Connie might have been drugged and doesn't believe that it was Greg or Brad because they did stay at the bar to wait for her. They think that someone else might have done so and followed her outside, avoiding the surveillance camera. The next theory is that when she was sighted at the payphone, she might have called someone to pick her up, and when they did, something must have gone wrong. The last theory indicated that she started wandering near the road and was offered a ride by the wrong person. Connie was the youngest of four children. Her brother and sister were more than a decade older than her, and she had one younger brother. She graduated from Lamphere High School in 1984 in Madison Heights, Michigan. She was unemployed at the time of her disappearance. Detective Melissa Stevens with the Macomb County Sheriff's Office has been working on her case for the last 10 years. She states in an article on WXYZ.com When I think of the name Connie Royce, I think where did she go and why can't we find her? She decided she had to go and get out of there with no shoes on. She walks out of the bar and appears intoxicated to me, and then she's gone. Over the years, Detective Stevens say that the police had looked into so many leads, conducted witness interviews, and polygraph tests, but no suspects ever came up. On a podcast called Already Gone, host Nina Instead shares Connie's story. She goes over how she spent her evening, what police did in the aftermath of the disappearance, and what leads came in. She states... I enjoy telling stories, and honestly, I don't like it when people get away with things. It really bothers me. It gives me a little feeling that I'm helping in a case. I believe someone knows what happened to her, and if the right person comes forward, we could find Connie and bring her back to her family. I can't imagine what it must be like to lose a child and not know and not have any answers. Detective Stevens says it's never too late for justice or to bring her home. My hope is that I can find her remains, bring her family some sort of comfort that she was found. For 30 years, her case has been cold with no leads, no evidence, and no suspects. Connie was last seen wearing a black form-fitting sleeveless mini dress with a flower print skirt and no shoes. If you have any questions regarding Connie's whereabouts, please contact the Macomb County Sheriff's Office. This week's episode is sponsored by Best Fiends. Are you getting bored with the same old games on your phone and looking for something new to try? Then let me tell you about this new game I've started to play that you have got to check out. It's called Best Fiends. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends is a new puzzle game that has literally thousands of levels to play and tons of cute characters to collect. I've unlocked 11 out of 192 characters, and my personal favorite is Howie. He's a little lizard and has this goofy look on his face that makes me laugh every time I see him. Each time you evolve the characters, they get new abilities and their look does change. I wonder how Howie's going to look the next time I get to upgrade him and he evolves. This game has something new every day, such as levels, events, and challenges to keep you entertained. It does challenge your brain, but is casual enough that it doesn't stress you out, which is a great thing right now. And anyone can play. It's made for adults, but it's bright, colorful, fun, really approachable and is a nice breather from the heavy true crime world. I find myself playing Best Fiends while sitting on the couch after a long day at work. It helps me wind down before I go to sleep. I've made it to level 73 in the endless desert and can't wait to see what else this game has in store. So join me and millions of people who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Remember, that's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Stop 18. Alabama. On May 30, 2012, Brittany Wood, 19, supposedly went to go visit her uncle, Dolan Holland Sr., in the Sticks River area of Mobile, Alabama, and apparently got a ride from him around 7.30. But she never arrived. There are several reports that state that she told her family she was going to visit friends and nothing about going to see her uncle. Her last cell phone ping was less than a mile from where her uncle lived. But because no one knows where she was going exactly, it made this case extremely challenging. Detectives state that her cell phone battery and handgun were found in Donald Sr.'s car after he was discovered from a self-inflicted gunshot wound on June 1st. He used Brittany's gun to kill himself. On June 5th and 6th, many volunteers searched a five-mile radius around her uncle's home, but her body was never found. Local and national search crews spent months looking for evidence, but nothing ever turned up. Her brother Derek turned into the family leader to look for her. He was there from the beginning of all the searches, and her mother described him as her protector. But hold on tight, this case is about to get a little wild. In February of 2012, Randall Wood, another one of Brittany's uncles, contacted the local police department to report family sexual abuse. Donald Sr. had been under investigation for about four months because of all of these allegations. Police think that on the day that Brittany disappeared, she was trying to confront him. He was supposed to be questioned by the police on the day that he was discovered to have killed himself. Brittany was also supposed to speak to the police. Several members of Brittany's family were arrested in the summer of 2012. They were accused of passing children back and forth for sex within a close-knit group of family and friends. According to the authorities... Children were forced to observe what was happening, and then several women used sex toys on them to get them, quote unquote, ready for further abuse. When Brittany was a child, probably around four or five, her step grandfather started to sexually abuse her. He was sentenced to life in prison. As a result of the abuse, Brittany became involved in drugs as a teenager and became a mom at the age of 17. Most of the accused people were either direct relatives of Brittany's or family friends. Police often describe this case as one of the worst of its kind in the county. Here is a list of those that were arrested. Dustin Alton Kent, Brittany's uncle by marriage. He was charged with sodomy in the first degree, rape in the second degree, incest, and sodomy in the second degree. He received a 17-year prison sentence. Mindy Kent, Brittany's aunt. She was charged with sodomy in the first degree and sexual abuse of a child less than 12. She received a 40-year prison sentence. Jessie Wood, Brittany's mother. She is accused of sexually abusing a 10-year-old girl. She pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor of reckless endangerment and served no time. Randall Wood, Brittany's uncle, he was charged with sodomy in the second degree and incest. He received a split 15-year prison sentence, but only served three years. Derek Wood, Brittany's brother, he was charged with rape in the second degree, sodomy in the second degree, and incest. He was granted youthful offender status, which means his record is sealed. Donald Holland Jr., Brittany's cousin. He was charged with rape in the second degree, sexual abuse, and incest. He was granted youthful offender status, which means his record is sealed. Wendy Holland, Brittany's aunt. She was charged with sodomy in the first degree. She received a 219-year prison sentence. William Brownlee, a friend of Donald Holland Sr. He was charged with sexual abuse in the second degree and sodomy in the second degree. He received a 21-year prison sentence. James Kumba, he was related by marriage. He was charged with rape in the first degree, sodomy in the first degree, and sexual abuse of a child less than 12. The outcome of his sentencing is unknown. And finally, Nelton Morgan, a family friend. He was charged with rape in the first degree and sexual abuse of a child less than 12. He received a 10-year prison sentence and five years of probation. Mobile County Assistant District Attorney Nikki Patterson told a reporter, I have had some pretty bizarre cases in my day, but what makes this appalling is that most child sex abuse cases are done in secret. Someone is sneaking around with a child and trying to get the child not to tell anyone. This was out in the open and so blatant and was a secret shared by so many people before it came forward. Some investigators believe Brittany knew that other children were being abused by family members, Yet the police claim that her disappearance isn't connected. In 2012, a tip came into the police department, which prompted a search in Grand Bay, Alabama. Brittany's mother, Chessie, said in an article on Fox10TV.com, I'm just hoping she's there. I really hope that after eight years we can bring her home. Unfortunately, investigators didn't find anything at the property, but Chessie is certain family members are responsible for her daughter's disappearance. They were disappointed that nothing was found during this search, but the family isn't ready to give up hope. Brittany's stepmother, Stephanie, also believes that family members know what happened to her. Stephanie has attended almost all of the court appearances, hoping to hear a hint or a clue, but has come up with nothing so far. The Baldwin County Assistant District Attorney, Teresa Hines, said in an article on AL.com, We remain hopeful that one day, that someday, someone with information as to Brittany's whereabouts will come forward. Until then, we will continue to work. Baldwin County Sheriff Huey Mack believes that Brittany is dead. He said in the same article, all of those leads, which could be followed up on, have been to date. It is our belief that she is deceased and her body has been concealed. Closure will only come when Brittany's killer or killers are indicted and her body is located. Brittany was last seen wearing a blue t-shirt, blue denim shorts, and flip-flops. She was carrying a pink and teal tote bag. If you have any information regarding Brittany's disappearance you are encouraged to contact the Mobile Police Department. And that concludes tonight's episode. Please take a moment to listen to this promo from the podcast Chick Lit with Karen and Aubrey.
1: Hey, I'm Karen. And I'm Aubrey. And this is Chick Lit, a literature comedy podcast where we enjoy getting lit and talking about books that spoke to us as young adults. Yeah, book it was um, dope as fuck. Yeah, I did Used to book get it. the little personal pan pizza. Yeah. Just for oh my god. Just for you. Yeah. Nobody can take that shit, dog. Okay. But we also cover movies with special guests and it can get pretty crazy. I'll make a controversial statement. I will take this over Space Jam. Is that controversial? It People love Space be. Jam. We might have to we might have to stage a fight. So if you enjoy YA fiction. That fool of a fairy, Lucinda, did not intend to lay a curse on me. She meant to bestow a gift. Boozy beverages. Little shot of Bailey's and your coffee. Coffee, pizza, and Bailey's. Goes together like... Doesn't go together. Like it doesn't go together at all. And... and the power of friendship. I'll be like, I bought your Christmas present. And she'll be like, what'd you get me? I have to know. <laughs> Tell me right and now. And I'm like, Henry no. gets so irritated because I'm like, do you want your present now? And he's like, it's like October. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Then we're the podcast for you. We've been best friends for over a decade, so join in on the fun and grab a drink, y'all. January 6th at 1.15 p.m., the day that dry January died.
0: Thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you have enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at MurdBucket, Twitter at TheMurderBucket, and Facebook at BucketMurd. Check out weekly posts regarding new episodes and chime in on the weekend slash week recaps. I would love to get to know you better. Have a great day.